Welcome back to the special two-part episode of Principles in Practice. I'm your host, Chris Heslip. And for this first part, we will be hearing from the president of Studio C, Blue Van Dyke, as he talks to us about what the best practices for strategic planning are. Blue is a global businessman and strategic advisor who has had a history of success. Blue started his career at Daimler Chrysler before running his own VC firm, and most recently, he was the executive pastor at Christchurch of the Valley in Peoria, Arizona. Recently, Blue started Studio C. We're glad to welcome him today and hear how he implements strategic planning in his organization. We're gonna hear from Blue as we hear about his core four levels of planning that break down the planning process into practical applications. And we're gonna hear from Blue about the importance of having a balanced scorecard and what methods Blue has used to implement this across his organizations. So Blue, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris, for having me. It's great to, to talk with you again. We've talked several times over the year. It's great to be back. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, you have like the most diverse and broad background of like anyone I've ever met who works in a church. Yeah. Uh, tell us about, you know, your, your background and how you ended up at Christ Church of the Valley and then what you're working on now. You bet. So I always say that, you know, vocationally, you can kind of dump what I've done in about four buckets over the time. And, and the very first bucket was, as you mentioned, it was Daimler Benz at the time. That's the parent company of Mercedes Benz. And uh, I hired on with them right out of grad school. They had, in essence, a program that was very similar to the Black Belt program that was started at GE under Jack Welsh. So the idea is for the first five years that I was with the company, they just moved me around the globe, a different division in a different country, just trying to learn this giant organization. So it might have been captive finance in one country, manufacturing in another, sales and marketing, et cetera. Um, and during that tenure with those guys, one of my projects, and this, this dates me a little bit, but one of the projects was to work with our team to build MercedesBenzUSA.com, first website. All right, so this was early 90s. Uh, we'd work with a number of companies. This was really, this was cowboy time, right? This is the Wild West trying to figure out what this whole thing looked like. Um, during that time frame, I actually made the decision to jump ship, left Daimler, and went over to the digital marketing firm that we had hired to build our website. So spent the next seven years just working on really complex, what I'll call digital platforms. This is Toyota.com, Marriott.com at the time, Chevron, just big tier one organizations that were trying to figure out this thing called the internet and how you advertise with it. Um, what's, what's unique, if people understand that, that means I rode it up to here and I rode that bubble all <laughs> the way back down the other side. And, and somehow we survived. We've survived the bubble burst. And that was almost a credential in itself, right? I'd show up to companies and say, hey, we're still in business. And that was almost enough to justify what you were doing. Uh, that was a digital marketing firm. It's called Proxycom at the time. And then come around 2006 and seven, now we're, we're well out the other side of that. Um, I just decided for a change. I'd been traveling a ton. It was a relatively stressful period of life. And my wife and I decided it was a good time to regroup. So we were fortunate enough in 2006 to exit the business. And with our uh, you know, holding company, we were owned by a PE company, we sold to Goldman Sachs. Um, and then I was able to take a little bit of a break. So in all transparency, I took a year off. Uh, my goal for that year was to regroup with God, regroup with my wife, and regroup with my children. So we took a year off and went on a bunch of mission trips, dove headfirst in the church, coached high school baseball, uh, coached Little League, just sort of completely regrouped. That was 2007. And it was, for those who are curious, I mean, you got to save up, you got to do some things, but quite possibly the most transformational year of my life. It was phenomenal. Wow. Right? But with that, I came out of the other side of that and decided that I really enjoyed this idea of creating value in something, taking something that was broken, dot-com bubble here and growing it. So we looked at distressed organizations, started a small VC firm with a, with a buddy of mine, and we invested in companies that were really technology-centric, helped them grow and exit them. So we buy distressed, clean them up, grow them and exit them. I uh, did that for another seven years. And then because 2007 was so great, my wife and I decided that in another seven years, we were going to take another year off. So 2014 rolled around. Uh, this time I said, hey, if the first one was all about us, I'd love for this second sabbatical to be about pouring back, giving back in some way. So I went to my local church, which is that transition that seems so weird from ZC into church. But I went to Christ Church of the Valley, where I'd been attending for quite a while and said, hey, is there anything a Jesus loving venture capitalist can do to bring value to the church right now. Right. And luckily I was really grateful that the uh, senior pastor, Don Wilson at the time and the executive pastor, which is Ashley Wildren, the, the current senior pastor now were incredibly open to that and encouraging and 
said, hey, come on in, bring all that brain trust that you've accumulated. Don't leave it at the door. Bring it in and see if we can apply some of those methodologies and those principles to church and help us grow. Help us see if we can take it from here to there. So uh, did that for, I planned on staying. It's as crazy as it sounds for one year. I ended up staying for five. Uh, loved it. Loved what I was doing. Started in January of 15, finished up in December 31st of 19, um, and decided after that to come out and start something called Studio C, which I say is the sum of all the things that have come before, right? So I'm back in the marketplace, but I'm serving the, the church community predominantly, not exclusively, but predominantly, but it's a combination of everything Daimler taught me as a young guy and the digital marketing platform, all the growth-oriented VC, and then the church world and applying that back to, to the kingdom. And so for me, the Studio C is sort of the sum of the parts up to this date right now. It's been a fun ride, Fantastic. though. Fantastic. And, you know, having uh, all of those amazing experiences and then being able to bring them to help yeah. serve, you know, the faith organizations, uh, I mean, that's, that's an incredible background. And then we're going to get into, you know, talking about planning in a second. Yeah. I mean, you must have had some very interesting experiences through, you know, for, as a VC, you know, yeah. as a board member, like looking up here at 50,000 feet and then obviously being in it as an executive and then being the executive pastor responsible for driving it. I mean, you've sat basically in every seat, you know, yeah. responsible for, for a planning cycle. Well, and it has been great. You know, I have this sort of, a, I call these things blueisms. It basically means it's just stuff I've learned over the years. We can agree to disagree and we're all going to go to heaven. So they're not rules. They're just things that I've sort of found and believe in. And one of them is whenever I work and in, walk into an organization and whether this is somebody that I've acquired and we're looking to grow or others is I really don't make any changes for the first hundred days. I just get in there and try to understand at depth what's going on. Where's the future look like? What are the holes in the bucket? What do we need to fill immediately? And so I did the same thing when I joined CCB is I really just spent the first hundred days asking a ton of questions. I met with everybody in the organization from senior pastor right down to those working in our kitchen and just asked a series of questions to kind of formulate where are we first? Because before you ever put a plan together to go somewhere, I really believe you got to understand where you are first. What do you have to work with? What are the resources? What are the tools? And that was really the first hundred days to understand it. You know, I've got another little blueism I call it, and that is, hey, you should be able to know the organization you're in well enough that you can diagram it on a single piece of paper, right? Mm. What is it we do? What is, I, I go into these VC meetings at times and, and guys are coming in, typically they're looking for capital and, and they'll bring in these big presentation decks that are about this big with pro formas that are even bigger. And at the end of the day, we review all that, obviously, and there's value in that. But then I say to them, hey, can you pause for just a moment, go up to the whiteboard and just diagram what's the flow look like? A customer comes in, they do something, and then they go out. And so I spent the first 100 days kind of eating my own dog food and trying to do that same thing for our church, for CCB. What is this flow? And we simplified it, but that was really the foundational element that let us put any planning in place on top of it. Great. And when you think about um, whether CCV or other experiences, what's the yeah. relationship that exists between mission, values, and strategic planning? Are they yeah. interlinked in any way or are they completely separate things? Yeah, no, I, I definitely believe they're in a link, but you know, that was actually a mistake of mine, I'll tell you. So I came in to the church world. And, and mind you, like I say, I was so appreciative of my time with Daimler's and the digital agencies. They grew me up. They, they Professionally, I always say that was my doctorate program. And, and what I did was I came in the church assuming that the idea of planning was interlinked into these things. And I just assumed everybody did that. And I learned really quickly that in the church world, that's not always the case, right? And in fact, I ended up at sometimes alienating an entire group of people. And I had to understand it. I really, it kind of caught me off guard a little bit. I was definitely wrong because I came in with some assumptions ahead of time. And what I realized is there's almost sort of, if you look at the extremes, there's two extremes, kind of a group. And I think they're called sort of technocrats. And that means structure, form, planning, process. That's at the core of church. And then you have these things, I just call them kind of spiritual crats, which say it really is all about the spirit, that the involvement of human systems and processes is arrogant. And it can have a tendency to box out, box out what the spirit's trying to do. And, and so I really wrestled with this. Like, hey, I'm seeing both extremes. Even in our own church context, I'm seeing both extremes in individuals. So I met with some, honestly, people that are smarter than me, uh, dove into scripture, kind of read where it is. And I've really landed that, in my opinion, if you want to make an argument for either one, you can, right? So I had to formulate my own opinion on that. And I believe wholeheartedly that the idea of planning fits somewhere in the middle. Right. So for me, 
uh, this idea that, that the planning is really kind of this idea that it's, it doesn't create transformation, right? Transformation only happens from the Holy Spirit, but it creates opportunities for transformation. It's a methodology and a planning. I've never seen a planning tool or methodology that's converted somebody, right? Nobody's come to Christ because of that great tool that you put in front of them. They've done it because the tool introduced them to something where they were more open to that transformation taking place. So I look at these tools, these methodologies, and I just unapologetically said, hey, this is a form of stewardship. It's a gift. It's a tool. For me, I see planning throughout scripture all over the place. I think God is a planner and creation and formation of the church and otherwise, and I'm going to use these as a tool, not as something spiritual, but as a tool to unleash some of the spiritual component that comes with faith. Um, I would say as an organization, as a leadership team, and this was really valuable for it, we used planning as a way to help us really sort of discern what we were supposed to do as a church. Here's mm -hmm. what I mean by that is, you know, there were four leaders and this was the structure of our senior pastor. I thought he did a great job. It was himself and three executives and we'd sit in a room together and we would use the planning process to help really discern sort of the will of God for the church. Meaning we would go through this planning process and I don't believe God puts, you know, the four of us in a room and gives us all four different plans and just giggles as we bump into each other. Right. So, but I do think we have a tendency to interpret that differently. And so the planning helped align us into an area that we felt was really sort of the, the direction we were supposed to go as a church. So I do, I see it to answer your question very specifically. I call this something the core four. I think a lot of organizations, churches included stop at three, mm. right? But they miss the fourth and the, the, the four of them are for me, you got to have a vision where we headed to sort of why we're there, the mission, why we exist, what that's all about. Then you go through and you have your values. This is how we're going to operate. And then the fourth is the strategy. How are we going to get there? What tools are we going to implement to accomplish our vision, mission, and how we're going to operate as values? So to me, I always call it the core four. And before I start anything in an organization, I really want to make sure there's clarity around all four of those areas. Fantastic. Well, do you want to go ahead and uh, pop your slides up there? Um, can you share them from your side? Sure. Sure. Let me do that. And just while you're doing that, one of the things... Um, uh, I've seen, you know, is that uh, people go to these large organizations, you know, uh, my good friend Rick Holiday at North Point, and they say, yeah. hey, um, we've been working here for six months and, you know, we thought we'd be coming to something really exciting and actually uh, what we're coming to is something that's quite boring, you know, or yeah. sometimes even a startup or even your background, right. you know, in manufacturing. Hey, we thought that, you know, the, uh, the construction floor would be where all this exciting stuff happens. But I right. think there's a... Yeah there's a statement in management or leadership, which is, you know, you want things to be boring, right? Like you yeah. don't want things to be exciting. If, if right. things are exciting, probably something is going wrong somewhere. So I, love that. I think the, the this discipline of, you know, building uh, strength and, and kind of a, a process around planning, you know, it can seem boring, but actually, yeah. you know, boring means that things are going how we want them to. Well, I love that. I love it. Boring is how they are, but it means that it's also understood enough that people are just functioning, which seems boring because it's not chaos, right? I used to always say that, you know, strategic planning for a while, it's really all about painting some idea about a planned future, determining where we're going to go and how we're going to get there. And the best way to do that is have clarity around that, right? I, I read somewhere a long time ago, they said for a retail business, the top three attributes for success are location, 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 right? In a service-based business, I think the top three attributes for success are clarity, 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 right? If you don't know where you're going, and I've heard somebody say at one point, I remember I read it, that if, hey, if it's even a little bit of a mist for you, then it's a fog for the layer below you, and it's complete darkness the next layer down. So strategic planning, really, even though it might seem boring, I think it's because people are operating and they've lost a little bit of that chaos that's around it, right? So for me, I always say that it's really two primary things about clarity and empowerment, and the analogy that I often use before we dive into this is I think about like what the planning that went in for Normandy, you know, World War II when they took Normandy as a beach and, and the leaders of that time had to coordinate the efforts of like 150,000 men, some 11,000 aircraft, 7,000 ships, you know, all this stuff, 54,000 vehicles in total. And the secret of the success wasn't that they found the single best point to penetrate. In fact, that was part of the strategy is it could have been anywhere. The secret of success is they aligned everybody on where we were going to attack, right? So people had a really clear understanding of what the priorities were, what the direction was, and then what their responsibilities, what the outcome is that we were looking for. And I thought, you know, that was really part of it. I, I read somewhere at some point that even some of these submarine skippers lost radio contact for three days. They weren't able to get directions all the time. 
but they already knew what the objective was, what the goal was to hit and the direction in which they were heading in. And I remember after reading that, I said, you know what, I got to start treating my department leads or my ministry leaders like sub captains. I got to make sure there's a lot of clarity in what we're trying to accomplish. They've got the right direction that they're heading in. They understand that and they're well resourced to do their job to get there. Right. And for me, that's really the role that planning plays for us as an organization. So I'm sorry, just real quick, you guys see the, the screen that I have up then as well? Does that work or? We have it. Yeah, jump in and, and talk. Perfect. I mean, I think this is the perfect link between, you know, the vision, this long-term ethereal thing that exists up here to, yeah. hey, what am I doing today in my job and how does it relate to that? So if you could step us Perfect. through these uh, four levels of planning, that would be fantastic. Well, I found that, that really even the reason I even put this up there when I was talking to our team and our staff as we rolled out some, some planning and is this concept of strategic planning is really fairly broad. Right. And it can come in different places. And so I've just broke it down in four areas so that we all know what we're talking about. And the first one I just call sort of visionary planning or visionary strategic planning. And that's really this idea of let's look at least five years out. Typically, it'd be something large in a church context. It might be something like are we going to go multi-site or not? That's not something you're going to switch gears on quickly. Requires a high level of investment and usually significant uh, resources to pull off as well. So that's sort of this idea of visionary that we put into this. The next I just call sort of strategic or operational. I see it in either way, right? And this is more of a three to five year sort of process that we go through. Typically for me, this would be something like what a department or a ministry might plan. I call it medium horizon, three to five years. Um, if I were to put it in a church context is, what are we gonna do for small group ministry, right? Does that change a little bit? We may be focused on neighborhoods this year. We may be more affinity based the next year. Are we gonna have serving programs here are larger, but this would be something that it necessarily would have to align with the visionary planning, but it happens typically sort of the next layer down in departments or ministries. And then the last or in the next one is something I call annual planning. And that's really what we're, you know, I'd like to talk about even more today, but the annual planning is what are we going to accomplish this year, right? I've got January to December, whatever your calendar or fiscal year that you work off of, it's a 12 month planning but we've got to do our normal business. But if we're going to lean a little bit more, we're going to put a little emphasis into something. What's the something we're going to put that emphasis in for the next 12 months. Right. And then the last one is called tactical planning. And this is really very project specific. We, you know, as an organization want to build a new website and do a new product development. That would be more of a tactical planning, have its own budget, maybe time box differently from the calendar, three month, two month project, et cetera. Right. But the annual planning process is the one that that for the most part, I believe, has had the biggest impact in the organizations that we were trying to grow and or clean up. Right. If they were distressed. And it's the first place that I look, actually, when I start leaning into companies. Well, um, a couple of questions. One is at what level do you think, you know, what size organization does this start to become helpful? Is What is 10 people, 15 people? All of a sudden you've got to start thinking a bit further ahead. Is that. Oh, I love it. I believe it fits with any size organization. Okay, so I was first introduced to annual planning at Mercedes-Benz. And we'll talk a little bit about the methodology that we used and how we introduced this, but it really was this idea of annual planning at a biggest level. So I did have an assumption like, okay, great, this is an enterprise level solution, but doesn't have an application down lower. And then obviously even, you know, at our, uh, at our digital marketing firm, it's fairly large at our peak, we still had 1200 employees. So not 400,000 like Dimer, we're down to about 1200. It was the very first thing we rolled out to manage our growth and our alignment was incredibly successful in aligning some of the priorities that we have here. So it fit there as well. Then you get down into these cleanups and I'd have these small VCs and we'd buy this small company. And by the time we took it down, I'm thinking, ah, does this really apply? Um, it, is in, it is the same methodology, the same tool set, the same concept I went through with those as I did at Daimler and would still hang this idea that it is the tool or the methodology that I use personally to help clean up these organizations. When I started Studio C, and this was in March of this year, at one point it's myself and another colleague just ideating where we're at. One of the very first things that I did was took a stab at the annual plan for the next 12 months. Right, and help me as a leader understand, I've got some hiring to do. I've got some foundational elements I need to put in place. There's some operational efficiency. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I've seen it operate at you know, a Daimler level enterprise, the ninth largest company in the world, 480,000 employees or whatever they're at now, all the way down to two of us sitting in a room to help determine where we're at. Awesome. And then let's look at the, the five-year plan, you know, because obviously everything kind of uh, steps down from that. Yeah. 
How, how would someone uh, come up with that five-year kind of vision slash strategic direction? And, and I'm just thinking about the person out there who's, who's thinking to themselves, you know, yeah. I, I just don't know where things are going to be in five years. We're in the middle of COVID, you know, yeah. how did you get certainty, uh, maybe at CCV even about, you know, what is going to, what, what is the world going to be like in five years and how should I, you know, how should yeah. I make decisions today that impact that five-year period of time? Yeah, it's a great call. So even very tactically, our process is as an executive team. So for me, and I'm going to back up just for a second, I think that planning is a top-down process. I generally believe you have to start up here with vision, which is typically started from the leader and or the leadership team. Um, in fact, if you asked our senior pastor, he would say one of his top priorities is to set the vision for the church going forward, to preach the word, and to manage the culture. Those are his top three objectives as we do this. But tactically, we as a leadership team would step away from, we do an offsite, so we'd step away for a day or two twice a year. And during that process, we're really looking at what does it look like for our long term. Now, we would do some annual planning as a different process we'd go through. But the vision, first of all, had to tie to really what I'm going to call almost your vision statement. Our vision statement is ongoing. Okay, so somewhere like at Christ Church of the Valley, the vision statement was to win the valley, meaning uh, the Valley of the Sun or Phoenix, they call that, for Christ. So if our long-term vision strategy didn't support our vision statement, then we had a miss, right? So if all of a sudden we started setting a five-year plan that had something opposite of what our vision statement is, then that was my first indication that we were going off in a wrong direction. So we started with this vision statement, which is perpetual and ongoing to say, how does this support it? Where are we doing? And then just like you said, I think there's a couple things you bring into play. What's happening environmentally? And we just dialogue and ideate and read and, and bring in all kinds of research of what's happening. And those could be everything from growth structures in, in certain regions. It could be what's happening with the industry in church specifically. There are shifts to digital now that are taking place that never existed before. So we would look at different changes to the environment. We'd look at our readiness. What are we prepared? Where are we gifted? Where do we have particular strengths at? And where can we move that needle? So those were typically what the conversations look like. And then we would just whiteboard and put things up out there and understand where we're, where we're headed. I love it. Let me, let me say two things about that. One yeah. is I think uh, the first one is around, you know, reducing the size of the, the team that's actually coming up with the yeah. vision, I think is really important and getting that time away. Because if you try and do that in the middle of your day to day, you're just never going to be successful to find that strategic time to think. And so, Correct. you know, even in, uh, at Pushpay, we would take, you know, a couple of days, take all of the senior executives off site and, yep. and try and work through it. And it costs money, but it's, you know, right. one of the feedback from all of the executives involved is it was one of the most important times. And I think one of the things that we like to do when we do this and try and set vision is, you know, a lot of the questions we ask is what's changing? What does our environment yeah. look like? And sometimes we can get too focused on what's changing instead of focusing on the things that never change. And there's yeah. this great Jeff Bezos uh, quote where he says, you know, customers are relentlessly dissatisfied. They always want faster delivery and cheaper yep. products right. and it's never going to change. And so I think as an organization, by focusing on the things yeah. that never change, you can start to say, right, like, like what you're saying, Hey, people are always going to be hurt. People are always going to yep. be broken. We always have the ability to serve people and and then you know we, we don't have to focus so much on all of these technology things yeah. COVID things all of that now our, our approach may change because we yep. understand where we are but the core need the core mission has never changed because we're anchoring our mission on things that never change yeah i love it so much from the church so there's this thing that remember i was talking about this fitted on a page and and this fit on a page analogy for me is really that at the end of the day, what the church is all about is bringing somebody who doesn't know Christ yet and taking them through some process that actually creates a disciple of Jesus Christ, right? But that process doesn't change. It's been the same thing that's been happening ever since the start of the church. Take somebody who doesn't know yet, walk them through, and you can call that sort of evangelism at front, and then you take them through a discipleship process. And at the end of the day, you create a disciple who goes out and brings more people into church for you. How we go about doing that evolves right? Sometimes you can do that digitally. You might do it just with, the, with a weekend experience or maybe an event in time. But what we've done is we've anchored on this concept of what we're called to do as a church, right? Where is it that we're called to do and where are we going to play within this space? That doesn't change. That foundational elements of this process of taking somebody from not yet to fully devoted uh, is the process that, that it, we anchor to. And so if we start finding ourselves on something outside of that, and we would even ask questions like, okay, where in that process, this thing we're talking about help? 
what changes with that? Why does it change, right? What, what are we going to do differently now? The process, the thing that we're doing, the step that we're taking doesn't change. How we approach that or how we develop the programming around that might change over time, but the foundational piece doesn't. I love that. That's so good. Well, step us through the next slide here, the value of creating annual plans. You know, one of the things that we started with is this idea of annual planning. So if I got those four areas and we're focused in on this idea for a year, it's sort of why, why? And then same thing you said is there is a short-term expense, both in real capital and human capital to develop a plan, right? So what I always want to do is justify the ROI for that. Like, why are we going to spend the energy to put this into a plan? And for me, the very first real value add to this is it helps set priorities, right? That this gives people the list of what they should be working on, what I say, what they should be working on first. So this statement helps prioritize sort of our spend. You know, rarely do we have unlimited resources where we can say we can do it all. So this helps you prioritize your resource spend and also your time spend. I always say, and I love this, that an annual plan lets me say no to good ideas, right? What I mean by that is it's really easy as a leader, I think, to say no to stupid ideas. When somebody brings you a stupid idea, it's okay. I mean, it's pretty simple to say it's not going to work out. right? The problem is, is I get a lot of good ideas. And how do you know which one to tackle or not, right? Which one are we going to spend our money and our energy on? And so what we can look back at times and say, hey, that's a great idea. Does it fit to one of our initiatives for this year? Is it plugging into a plan for this year? And then if it does it, we can say, keep it on the books. It's a great idea, but we're going to push that out to a later date. I'm not going to lose it. So for me, having it to set those priorities, let you say no to good ideas. That's the first sort of value add. The second is setting direction, right? I talked about this a little bit over that that by having the strategic direction, you can align all of your resources to achieve the goals. It focuses your energy, focuses your resources, focuses your time. I, I still Stanley's, you know, principle of the path in this, Andy Stanley's, he's always talking about that it's your direction, not your intention. So I always say we may have a good intention, but if the organization isn't heading in the same direction, then we're going to be all over the place, right? So we live here. I always tell people we live here in, in Arizona. We want to make it to California and half of us go west and half of us go east, but the goal is to get the whole team there. We're never going to happen. So we got to make sure we're all aligned and heading in the same direction, right? The third one for me, and this is, this is one where I would, would really encourage, you know, sort of leaders in this area. And this is this idea about driving out, simplifying decision-making in some of this. And the simplified decision-making is that it actually helps empower staff quite a bit, right? So what I want is I want staff to be able to make decisions without having to go buck, back up the chain again to ask for permission. I want them to know exactly what we're trying to accomplish. And as a leader, one of my goals is always to take decision-making and drive it as low into the organization as I possibly can. can scale the organization. Otherwise, as a leader, I become a bottleneck. So I use the planning process to help them be able to have a filter to run decisions through so that I can simplify that decision process for them. Third one is this alignment, right? And here, here's what I say by alignment. And churches get this too, is that I think churches have a ton of incredibly hardworking people. And churches particularly because there's an element of significance about what they're doing that leads them to work incredibly hard in what they're doing. I don't think we have an issue of a lack of hardworking individuals. What we have is often people working in different directions unintentionally against each other, right? And what I did for our teams, I said, just think if our worship team came up here and there's five or six musicians all up on stage and every one of them started singing a different song. How chaotic would it feel? How much would you move the organization the way we want to from a motivational perspective? So for me, this idea about driving alignment to get us all consistent, it harnesses all that hard work, and I just think it's a better output out of it, right? And then, you know, we've got communicate to staff. Um, uh, this is a big piece of it for me is the end of the day, I use a plan to help articulate what's important to the senior team. Right. What I've read somewhere in time is that typically less than 7% of employees in any organization fully understand the strategy and how it translates to what's expected of them. Right. They may understand it. You may say it. But then if you ask them the next layer question, which is, what does that mean for me? Like, how do I do something with that? Less than 7% can actually answer that. So this is a strong communication message about, hey, what is it that is our message and how do we do this? And then the last one is really to motivate the staff. This gives everybody an understanding of where we're trying to go. And the way I try to say that is, is if, you know, especially being on who you're hiring, uh, give me a goal. Give me something that we're trying to accomplish by the end of the year. Give me a win. How do I measure if I'm effective or not? How do I score it? Um, I, I may be unique in this, but I, I actually want to play to win. I want to have a scorecard on there when we're playing, you know, ball or whatever that might be. 
I look up at the scorecard, the scoreboard, and I want to see if I'm accomplishing our goal or not. So for me, it's a great motivator for those guys who are really out there with the desire to win. Well, have you got any uh, stories where you, you know, obviously giving, you're giving staff permission to say no to some things that are good Mm -hmm. in order to say yes to some things that are great. Have you got any stories of where you've rolled this out and you've had, you know, uh, where you've seen the alignment increase or you've seen staff say, Hey, you're asking me to work on this thing over here. That's actually not at all uh, aligned with what we were trying to go this quarter. Yeah. You know, one of the goals, and we'll talk about this, that I thought was really unique was we actually talked about what we call a growth margin. Okay. So one of our goals was to increase the margin. So the amount of money that we bring in, we spend less of it. Money stays there at the end and kicks out the bottom. Now, nobody's, there's no shareholders. Nobody's taking that as profitability. What we said is that's the resources we can use to grow the kingdom. We can invest that money in new campuses, new areas, et cetera. In full transparency, I wasn't sure how that was going to be received, right? When you stand up in front of that and say, hey, we're going to try to actually operate on less than, quite a bit less than what we bring in so that we can use this to grow. The church rallied behind that, staff did. And what I said to them is send us things. So they sent all kinds of opportunities and how you could save money, right? That led to another goal. And we got to thinking on this, that we asked for something. We said, hey, if you can eliminate what we call dead skunks, if every staff took two things that they're doing that aren't bringing value, but we've just sort of always done it, can you imagine how much we can save? And so one of those was actually our bulletins. We've been printing bulletins. Um, I don't think most people even understood it for us. Just the print costs alone were about $180,000 a year in print costs for bulletins when the vast majority of them went right into the recycle bin afterwards. And so when a staff member came up and said, hey, look, not by eliminating this, I not only eliminate the $180,000 print costs, but here's the man hours that are necessary to do it. We've kind of always done it. We've got other opportunities in digital and mobile that we can promote this. And to me, that was an innovative, unleashed idea that had real capital savings, man hour savings and efficiencies and motivation that came out of this process. We didn't come up with it. We didn't sit there. It wasn't an executive. That was a frontline staffer who came up. That was a frontline staff member. That was somebody in the front line. We didn't, nobody on the executive team said, hey, by the way, give me the the line item cost of bulletin printing. We, We just didn't get down to that level, right, at some areas. So this was a line item person that came up with a real tangible initiative, brought it in. And the reason that they brought it to us is because they not only had permission, but they were being asked to come up with, what can you kill? What can you kill that, that doesn't have a real ROI for us that we think we can still get benefit from and we can measure this and it's got a dollar savings for the growth margin and an energy savings, which is part of our optimization we'll talk about in energy. And this was an idea that fit two in one and we loved it and canceled the bulletins and we're off and running from there. And there wasn't any um, senior leaders who were attached to it. It was a pretty easy conversation or did you have to? No, not an easy conversation. Of course, people were attached to it. It's something you've been doing for 30 years, right? I'd say. So um, there were some people attached. Some of the senior leadership team was very open to it. No doubt. We were more concerned about what our congregation was going to fill, right? Are we going to alienate somebody? And, and so we were able to get strategic and, you know, provide some blank paper for those who want to do it. But then our senior pastor actually spoke to it from the stage and was able to say, hey, listen, this is what it means in real dollar savings that we can now apply to other ministry efforts or other initiatives. And without exaggeration, he got a standing ovation. People stood wow. up and they were just proud that our church was trying to be so diligent and being efficient with the spend so that we could put more resources to growing the kingdom. So yeah, there was some resistance and there was some nerves associated with it, but at the end of the day, it just made logical sense. And we found ways to limit the pain, I guess I'd say, right? We put the notes online. We ended up giving some blank paper, which didn't have a printing cost associated with it. Some other things that we could do to limit it. But at the end of the day, it was really a no brainer. I love it. Okay. So you got me bought in. I'm ready to go on uh, annual and strategic planning. How do I get started? Here's what I would say. There there are a thousand methodologies for annual planning that are out there. And maybe that's an exaggeration. There are a lot of methodologies for planning. I don't believe that there is a silver bullet one versus the other. But I would say if you look at a standard methodology, you're going to get a lot of support that's already exists in the marketplace and you don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? So you've got MBO methodologies, OKRs, KPIs. You can Google any one of these. We chose as an organization, the church, and I'm going to say that it was definitely biased because this is the methodology that I was introduced to way back in Daimler-Benz, and I've used it all the way through up into current, and then even introduced it at CCV at our last church, and it's just called the balanced scorecard methodology. 
right? Had, had you, I'm just curious, have you even, have you ever heard of the balance scorecard? Uh, I, I have, I've actually, I studied in a management, uh, in my, uh, college degree, uh, we used one at uh, push Bay called OGSMs, which is, and yeah. they all have, you know, a ton of similarities to it, uh, in terms of how you, and you know, when you get into the, the different breakdowns at the different stages, it basically is yep. the exact same thing. It, just, it really is. There's so many of them that are out there. There are. Yep. Yeah. So that's why I try to say to everybody is, please don't, I'm not advocating for this. All right? There's nothing in this. It's just, it's worked for me. And, and I know that there's software tools and other tools that can support it. And at the end of the day, it really was, I mean, balance scorecard has just been around quite a bit. Some 70% yep. of thousand, you know, fortune thousand companies are using them. Um, my point is that this isn't new. This isn't something that we made up in any capacity. This is something that's standardized out there that organizations all over the world are using we're just taking that and I'm applying it to the industry of church where it's been relatively underserved for a while with this, but taking the exact same tool set and just tweaking it slightly to fit into the context of our church, right? But at the end of the day, the balanced scorecard, when you look at this, it's really these core four I told you about, right? So this is that vision we talked about that said, hey, what do we want to be? The mission, why we exist, what's important to us. Then you add in this, this strategy. That's great. We've rolled this out now, these core four. We also know that there's some outcomes we want at the bottom. We'll talk about those outcomes that are there. These are the results we want. So we have a vision, a mission, a values, and a strategy. We want certain outcomes, but there's a gap in the middle, right? What is, what, what is that gap? And that gap is this idea, but we're going to actually do to get there. So the balanced scorecard, the role it plays, I say, is bridging that gap. Bridge the gap from our core four, our vision, and what we want as outputs each year, this is how we're going to actually go about getting it. This is what we're going to do. I, would, I always tell people it translates this strategy up here, which is this last step, into digestible little bite-sized pieces that will hopefully give us this outcome. So it is the little bite-sized pieces of what we have. Right? And there's, really, there's, there's three fundamental elements to it. It's traditional waterfall. And this idea says, hey, you're going to create as an executive team the top initiatives within the organization. As I mentioned, I believe this is top down and it waterfalls down, but at the highest level, you have to create the initiatives typically produced by the executives. This was that annual offsite where we sat down together and said, hey, for us, as we're looking, because as executives, we just have more uh, insight into what's going on. You sit a little bit higher up, you've got some tools, you can see some of the numbers. We might say things like, hey, this year we see that our small group participation is down. We want to lean heavier into small group. Or we may say, hey, look, we saw that giving's a little bit off. We may need to lead in that a little bit. But this would just be something that says, hey, these are the areas we're going to lean into for some reason, right? That then translates down into departments or ministries, whether you're, you know, marketplace or ministry, but it's going to, uh, you know, roll back down into waterfall. What are the objectives that support the initiatives? Okay, so if senior leadership wants to grow growth margin by this, what can I do in my ministry to support that initiative? That rolls down in an individual, I'm going to create a goal that supports my ministry objective that supports the executive initiative. So it's really these kind of three elements, and it starts at the top. So nobody sees anything until we've done our offsite, we've come up with what we think they are, right? And then we funnel it down. The key to the balanced scorecard is those initiatives that we set. They fit in one of these four areas. This is sort of the balanced part of the balanced scorecard. It says as an organization, we don't want to lean too heavy into one direction versus another, right? So the balance says that you're really going to always balance around four different areas, right? The one area that you, that, you know, you can call it what you want. We call it um, financial stewardship in the marketplace. This was shareholder value. Mm -hmm. What are the things I'm going to do to increase the value of the organization? In this case, how am I going to be really good stewards of the financial resources? The next one is member engagement. The marketplace definition would be customer engagement, right? So how am I going to keep my customers, my members engaged in what we do? The next one is we called it ministry efficiency in the church, operational efficiency. How do I do this year what I did last year plus some for less money? right? How do I do more for less? That's how do we become more efficient in what we do as an organization. And then the fourth bucket is what we call staff capacity, right? It's our most valuable resource by far is your staff. So what are we going to do to invest in them so that they can be more effective, right? But what we do is we set our goals. So as an executive team, we sat around and very tactically, we put four sheets of paper up on the wall. 
I titled them these same things. And then we started at the highest level of just saying, hey, if we had unlimited resources, what would we do in each one of these buckets for next year? What's broken? What's not running at its optimum? What could we focus on that's not there? And then as a team, we sat down and narrowed those down to three initiatives in each of the four buckets. Okay, we may have had 25 on one. We may have had you know, 50 in another. There's always things you want to address. And what we did is we made ourselves come up with three initiatives in each four buckets to make sure we stayed balanced. And then those were the initiatives with objectives and numbers attached to them that we presented to the staff. Fantastic. And how did you ensure that you had the right number under each? I mean, if you got 50 yeah. under one and two under another, how did you balance yeah. out the, the initiatives? Yeah, we just set a goal ourselves internally to have three in each bucket, right? To make sure that we had it. Now, you can argue what well, we didn't do, and if people want to get really sophisticated, is one weighted more than the other? Was this one a little bit more important than that one? But in order to maintain the balance of the scorecard effect, because we never want to get into a place that all of a sudden I've leaned so much into member engagement that I don't have the resources to run the church with anymore. Or I've leaned so much into staff that all of a sudden we're not operating efficiently and we've just become really internally focused. So it was really important to us that we kept it at three per group. And to be honest with you, that's the hard part because everybody wants five in this one and everybody wants six in this one, right? Just because, and I'm in, I'm in the same boat because you just know it's that important. But by forcing ourselves to restrict it to kind of the top three, what it did is it, it, it became really clear. As I mentioned, we had clarity here, but it could be really foggy next layer down. By having the top three, it became really easy for people to create objectives. Now, what I don't want, you know, the one of the questions I get is, is, is this all you worked on? It's not, we still had to run the church. Right? You still do everything you do on your day-to-day. -day. It's just saying that if we're going to have an extra dollar today, right? if this year we had an extra dollar, I got an extra hour, I'm going to lean into this initiative and see if we can measure and move the needle on that initiative. But well, I think we, we did the big three. Talking about here is that um, we all have day jobs. We've all got to do so many things yeah. after that email, you know, talk to that staff member, do our one-to-ones. Yeah. And you know, what, what to me a big part of the annual planning was about is about – I call it improving the machine that helps to produce the outcomes, right? Like we're yeah. actually working on the organization rather than just in the organization. So this is our time to kind of step back and say, okay, this is our opportunity to say, what do we need to do better? Because we're all right. so busy that if we don't do this, we're actually never going to improve. We're just going to keep going the same. And so this is our opportunity to improve our processes across the board. So we get better outcomes. I, I love it, Chris. I mean, that's exactly what we're trying to say is at the end of the day, we never want to become stagnant. This forces us to be innovative, right? So this is another little blueism, but you can look at the cultures of an organization. And as I go into a company, we decide if we're going to make an investment in this organization or not. There's sort of two elements. They're unwritten, but they're two cultural elements that I look for. And one of them is, does this organization have grit and fortitude? Can they power through when things aren't really rosy, right? And the second is, are they innovative? Are they always looking for opportunities to improve? Can we get a little bit better in some areas? You know, I, I don't remember where it was. It was a quote, something about Tiger, but it was that he's, he's not one of the best golfers because when he's in the middle of the fairway, it's because he gets out of the rough really well, right? He scrambles better than any golfer I've ever seen to come out of the rough. And so what we look for is how innovative can we be? And this is the opportunity for me, not just for the executive team to kind of point the direction, but you unleash the innovation of the people below you because they now have permission and they know in what area to unleash it. When I talk about that savings of the printing, I love, we did not come up with that. That was not an executive led initiative. That was giving permission, but letting them know, we expect you to think like that. Don't just do your job. Don't just come in and punch a clock. Think, be innovative, find out ways for us, you know, to be efficient. One of our goals, when I mean, I'd look at those four buckets that I showed you and three goals in each, one of them under operational efficiency was literally to save 5% off of our operating budget. So our direct mm -hmm. operating spend, not labor, but the direct spend was across the board 5% in each department. You'd be amazed at how unbelievably effective it was to have people say, great, did you know I could cut this? And right as a leader, I wanted to say, man, where was that six months ago? Why didn't you do that? But we didn't ask them. We didn't give them permission to do it. And so this unleashes that idea that people will see things you want way before you do if you just let them know what it is you're looking for. So jump into when do you do this type of planning? Yeah. Obviously, let's assume everyone here runs a January to December, you know, fiscal yep. year. 
when would you uh, look to start planning? Would you start in June? Is that too early? Would you start in December? Is that too late? What's the right level of, of time frame for that? Yeah, our goal on that is usually, typically, I like to have the annual plan completed in Q4. Okay, so now for the, for the uh, marketplace, that's usually a pretty good time because you actually have some downtime built into there with this. And the church, that happens to be a very busy season with Christmas and et cetera. So you have to plan accordingly. We started around August with our executive initiative gathering so that as we moved into September and October, we could allow enough time for the ministries to create theirs, so that by December, the individuals had a month to create their individual goals, right? But the key to that is the reason we did that is that annual planning process became sort of this framework by which we piled other things on. So as we started our budget process, which usually starts, you know, in, in starts in December, but I'm going to say it's January, February with most churches, realistically, as you look at that, then you can look at your budget to say, is our budget aligned to our annual plan? Did we move money from this department to this? Because that's an initiative for ours. So now all of a sudden you've hung your budget on your annual planning process. The other thing that we did was staff evals, right? So typically as we start looking at the beginning of the year and we're doing evals, we killed the idea of waiting till the end of the year and just doing this one-time staff eval process. We now tied our staff evaluations to the balance scorecard. So those individual goals, those were the things that we talked about on a regular basis, right? Now, I would say the individuals with their leaders should be talking about it all the time. Formally, once a quarter, we then did a summary of this eval process where you sat down and said, how am I doing? Do I need to adjust it, right? Our, our typical thing was we called it plan, do, check, and act, right? So we plan it out in Q4. We do it all the time. We're checking it formally, quarterly, but checking with your individuals on a regular basis, and we act or we adjust as we're necessary so we don't get stuck, right? The last thing we want to do is think we have to complete something with, you know, that's overly complex with better information today. So, but anyways, that was the idea. So end of the year, budgeting ties on the beginning of the year, all year long, we tie on staff evals to it as well. Talk to me about how, how do you readdress the plan if things change, if something comes up, yeah. uh, senior leader leaves or, you know, COVID hits or whatever it is, yeah. all of a sudden, uh, some parts of the plan are no longer valid anymore. We need to adjust yeah. and change. How do you go about that? Yeah, well, the good news on the plan, which is nice, is it should be relatively universal, right? At the end of the day, if, the, if it's an executive level initiative, what I've always said is it should supersede the executive that did it. It's really based on the organization. So at its highest level, really doesn't change a lot. But now COVID and you throw in, these are real anomalies that are doing it. So we would meet as an executive team every single once a week as an executive team. Traditionally, that weekly meeting was based on um, operational needs, whatever we were looking for for the week, et cetera. We always gave permission. I give this to our senior pastor who was great about this. He'd come in and say, does anything need to trump, trump today's meeting, right? Do we need to trump the operational piece of this because something strategic is more important has come up? So I would say you should create opportunities in there to revisit the plan, make that a formality of being able to revisit the things I would never do, the things I would stop doing. I would never try to come up with a plan that's so complex. You forget what it's all about, right? I would never stop at just coming up with a strategy. If you aren't prepared to do the department, you know, objectives and then with the initiatives, all you've done is set people up. So put it in the action. I would say never not revisit the plan, plan to revisit it plan to adjust it, plan to amend it, keep it alive. Now, typically, if we've set the right goals in this area, we've made very little adjustments over time, right? But we have made adjustments. Sometimes we found because of COVID, the numbers that we set in a particular area, so we had to readjust that goal, and that's okay. That's part of it. That is just uh, what I always say is you don't ever want to trust your instincts over God's will. If something's got thrown at you and it's changing it, then by all means, let's listen to that and let's adjust along with it. And um, Blue, talk to me about, I mean, this is, I think, one of your specialties is taking something from, okay, here is the, the, the initiative uh, that we're going to lead in each of the different departments. Yeah. Uh, but then you also, I think, build a whole like dashboarding system and then you brought those yeah. metrics into a weekly meeting and people Great would call. be talking about them all the time. It wasn't just, hey, yeah. you know, here's the, the initiatives. You know, how did yeah. you design those? What, what was that? Did you meet Love weekly it. to look at the metrics and what kind of things were you looking at that told, told you if you were winning in those areas or not? Thank you. Appreciate you bringing that up. There's two basic reports that we had. One I called the dashboard and one I called our scorecard. 
okay? And they were slightly different. So the dashboard are the things we're measuring every single year. The elements of the dashboard rarely change. Those are typically what I would call our next steps, right? Those are the things that we say, hey, here's what we need to be good at. Every year, we need to be good at these things and to help people move through that discipleship path, through that member life cycle. And that's things like attendance, uh, small group participation, serving, giving, right? Sharing of your faith, number of people that are leading. We would track those every single year. We would set new goals each year, right? We'd say, okay, we expect because we've opened up a new campus, we're leading to an area that we may want another number, but those elements on the dashboard remain consistent. and We track those every single week. Okay, where do we, we build those in and I would look at a enterprise reporting tool, whether it's a Tableau or a Power BI or a Domo or whatever that might be. There's a ton of them out there. And that dashboard was something that the entire church knew about. It was tied to our strategy, to our next steps, and we measured it. Our scorecard was what I just walked through. Here are the 12 things we're targeting for this year. This year, we're trying to get a 5% reduction in our operating budget. We're trying to grow our gross margin by a certain percent. We're going to increase in member engagement. We're going to focus on serving. So we want to grow by 22% in serving capacity, or we want to target something. Those are the areas, and those are the things we set every year. We would create those as our scorecard, and those are the things that I was saying we would measure every quarter. We'd sit down together, and we'd look at that in the executive team and said, hey, at the beginning of this year, the little end of last year, we rolled out our annual plan. We said these 12 initiatives we wanted to substantially move the needle on, these things. How are we doing, and what do we need to invest in to make it happen more? So those were the two primary reports that I reviewed on a regular basis, weekly for our dashboard. How are we doing as a church? And I think of that as literally the dashboard of my car. We got enough fuel in the tank, speed operating well, are we overheating? What's going on in this area? And then I had our scorecard, which was really this idea for this year, did we do what we said we were going to do? And you pull that into your, was it a month, your monthly executive team meeting, you know, um, senior leadership team meeting, I guess. And then you would review how you're doing and have a conversation around each point. Is that right? Exactly right. So as an executive team, which was, you know, in the church world as the senior pastor and three executive pastors for us, we would sit down weekly on a TV in the conference room was our dashboard. And so any of us could look at it and it had little indices on it that we built that just, you know, for dropping it's red, yellow, green, simple things. And if anything was out of whack on the dashboard, we could call a timeout and just address kind of what was going on help us to see some trends. Once a month, we met with the extended leadership team. So in the context of church, that would be ministry leaders or location leaders, campus leaders across the board. We would review the dashboard in there with them by location. So each of them, it's the sum of locations add up to the, what I'll call corporate, but the global initiatives. Um, And we would review those monthly with those leadership team as well. And then obviously each individual with their scorecard, they reviewed on a regular basis with their boss. Fantastic. One last question on this um, as we're, as we're coming up on time here is I talked to me about the rollout plan for the whole entire organization. So uh, we've got these, we've taken our extended leadership team through it. Everyone's bought in, we've got it dialed. Now, how do we get the organization together and step them through it? What kind of, what was your plan to roll it out to the whole organization? Great. I love it. So it was our plan and we adjusted. And so what I would say to this is the most important thing, in my opinion, is find the rhythm that works for your church, right? You're going to have to do this, but started off really with getting buy-in at the executive level. So annual planning was not something we had done historically, but it has been a cornerstone of leadership for me. And I'm not, not trying to oversell that, but in some ways I want to oversell that because that is such an important component for this alignment, the priority setting. And for me, um, I'm not even trying to be flippant with this. I'm pretty funny. I think that an element of my success is unleashing intelligent people who are more intelligent than I am and letting them work. Right. But putting them in the right direction. I've taken guys that can write, I couldn't write a line of code to save my life, but I've got brilliant, you know, architects over here and I've got uh, designers and creatives. I couldn't carry a note in a bucket, but if you can take all of that talent and people who are smarter than you and you can align them, that's how you can propel the organization. I get a lot of credit for work that other people do. Right. And that's this has been a cornerstone for me. And a big tool that I use is this planning process, this annual planning. So got buying at the executive level. The executives at CCB had all heard of this. I honestly, you're so busy. I just don't think they'd gotten to it. And any one of them could have come up with something similar. But I said, hey, I'll own it. I'll kind of help try to marshal this through the organization with everybody's buy in and permission. So at the highest level, got buy on uh, buy in on the methodology, balance scorecard versus others and green light. Let's run. Next thing I did was get the leaders together, that core group that I told you we met with monthly. And we would sit together and I articulated what we were going to do from a plan. 
So first of all, help them understand really a lot of what we just walked through right now, why we do annual planning, what's going to be the part of it. Got buy-in at that senior leader level. And then I roll it out to the entire staff, to the organization. So the rhythm of rolling it out for us, we have monthly what we call staff development days. Now, it's not everything we do for developing in our staff, but once in a while, we have a corporate development day where we'll bring in an initiative and we'll just teach to that initiative, whatever it might be, so that we can get the whole organization to grow, kind of the whole tide rising. Two of the 12 we use for internal rollout. So the January staff development day, that one that month is dedicated to the annual planning process, right? So the first one that I rolled out had a lot more educating on why we're even doing annual planning. By year two, it's what are my initiatives this year, right? What are the executive team when they met in Q4? What'd you all come up with? How do we roll it out? And when can I start creating my own individual scorecard right now? So we do it as part of a big corporate meeting with a staff rollout. By then, all of the department leads are already into it because I met with them in Q4. So then they meet with their staff and they go through all the individuals, but they already have the, the executive initiatives. They've already developed their corporate objectives, and then they work with their staff to create the individual goals. Fantastic. And one of the things I think we uh, often um, don't appreciate is how much our staff want to know what's happening in the organization and where we're going. And I think we just assume, oh, no, like all of our staff are either A, aligned, or B, yep. really happy and fully understand where the organization's going. And I, yeah. I can remember back to when we were about 15 people we just bring in Chick-fil-A for, you know, for yep. lunch and spend two hours, you know, just telling yeah. staff, look, this is where we are. This is where we're going. And, you yep. know, here's how we're doing and try and give them some transparency and, yeah. you know, not all the details, but just, you know, enough so they feel like they understand, you know, yeah. about where the organization is at. And honestly, the feedback from that, from the most junior staff to the most senior staff was like, wow, that was really worth the two hours and the $65 yeah. of Chick-fil-A that we spent on doing it. Right. I mean, when you think about when I, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling or laughing a little bit because there is an investment. You said that early on, but if it's 65 bucks for Chick-fil-A and you saved $180,000 and printed, you know, the return is enormous right in this area. So it is, there's this, this unleashing of the innovation, but then the motivation you're talking about. And I will also tell you that I think there was a misnomer of, Hey, this is, this sounds so corporate and it can sound so dry. Is the church world going to, resist is my, when I first had the rollout, I, I, I said to my assistant at the time, like, I'm not sure if I'm going to get beat up after this, right? Are they going to do this? Unilaterally, everybody appreciated it. Like, hey, thanks for the clarity. Thanks for helping us understand. And in all honesty, they said, hey, we know you're gifted in a different area. Bring, bring it, buddy. We can work with this. Let's not get lost in it. And so that would be my, my little, you know, advice to some church leaders is don't shy away from it. In my opinion, um, we've all got different giftings how we apply them to the betterment of whatever you're focused on. In this case, if it's the church growth or your organizational growth or your marketplace growth, whatever that might be, if you can bring your full element of giftings to that, bring your full tool belt, then the people around you look at that and say, great, man, we are now stronger as a result of it. So I was pleasantly surprised at how receptive the staff was to this idea. Great. Well, and, and look, the last thing I would say is, you know, how incredible that your senior leader allowed you to run that whole process. I mean, if you're a senior yeah. leader and you just say, look, I don't, I don't know how to do this, you know, then, you know, you might have someone on your team who, who can, who can run point on making this happen. Yeah. Good call. Great call on that. And I think that that's one thing from a senior leader, like you to say, Hey, who has it? See that. Uh, early on, and I remember this early on, there was a, a meeting we were having, we were talking to some of our uh, in, you know, highly involved members of the church, and we were rolling out sort of a new initiative to them. And we were rolling out this idea of the life cycle, right, this idea of a member life cycle. And he was using a lot of terms like discipleship process and growing this. And I kind of went out on a limb. I was very early and I paused and I said, hey, how many of you guys are in sales? And they all, you know, I had several raised their hand. I said, this is a purchase funnel, right? Uh, we're not buying anything, but we're trying to get people in the purchase funnel and we're trying to get them to convert. But instead of buying a product, they're coming to church. And I said, this is, this is church version of that. And, and I had a couple of guys and I was like, ah, well, why didn't you say that from the beginning? You know, like, uh, why didn't you start there? And what I appreciated was the senior pastor came to me afterwards and he said, never stop doing that. He's like, I can speak church ease. I need somebody who can speak business ease or sports ease or marketplace ease and bring those tools. I've got this tool, you bring that tool, and together we're gonna to have a better set to build this with. And so having that, like you said, I just wanna reiterate that openness of a senior leader who was saying, hey, I'm not threatened by that. In fact, I'm encouraged by it. 
bring it, I think unleashed a lot of potential for the, for the organization. Well, Blue, this has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, we still have some more content to get to. We're going to talk about how to take this annual planning and translate that into individual goal setting. So would you be willing Love to come it. back and join us next time on our next episode? And maybe we can talk about that and how to, how you went from that, those, um, those lunches, the development yeah. lunch. I would love to hear about that as well. Uh, so maybe you'd be willing to join us again and, and step us through that next tier down of rolling this out. If you'll have me, I'd, I'd be happy to. I appreciate this. Any opportunity to really um, use these gifts and show them a little bit, especially in what we're trying to do for the church community to advance that is, is a, a little bit of a crusade I'm on. So I appreciate you letting me even talk to this. It's been great. Great. Well, Blue Van Dyke, cool. thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Thanks, bud. Appreciate you. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next time on Principles in Practice. Don't forget to check out the links in the description below for more information on Blue and his organization. Make sure to like and subscribe to know when next week's part two interview with Blue is released. Blue is going to be walking us through individual goal setting, sharing key principles, and also answering your questions that have come in through our management test kitchen. If you haven't already joined the community, it's free to do so. If you head along to recipes.leader.com and post your questions there, uh, that's leader without the E. We'll also put the link in the description below. We'll see you next week.